Ah, oh, good to be in church this morning. Why don't we begin by just praying and asking the Holy Spirit to come and, and speak to all of us before we begin. Father, we thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you that you've got a, a word for every one of us. You, you, you want to keep leading us forwards, guiding us forwards so that we can come to the full maturity in our faith. Be made whole, you've got a purpose for us, you love us, you care about us. So we thank you, Father, that you are guiding us forward. You don't leave us in the same spot. And you're going to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Has anybody got a, uh, a tattoo? Hands up, tattoos. Anyone got a tattoo of a cross? One. And Ben would put his hand up as well if he was here. Anybody wearing a cross? Are you wearing another cross or is it just a tattoo? So Richard's doubled up on tattoo and wearing a cross. Any other wearing of crosses, earrings, necklaces? Another one down here. Fantastic. I, um, when I was in high school, I had a friend and she asked me, why do you wear, why would people wear a cross? Because the cross is a symbol of execution. The cross is what the, Roman, the Romans used to execute people. She said, if Jesus had died in a different era, we would all be walking around with electric chairs in our ears or around our necks. And that's pretty weird, isn't it? But it seems to be, so yeah, that's right. I like the confidence coming from the front row. We wear execution symbols. That's right. Damn right it is. But that's okay because it's important. The cross is like Almost the logo, it's a central image of the Christian faith because it's important, but it's also an execution symbol. So why is that? What is up with that? Why is it so important? Last week, we're talking, we're talking about why Jesus, and last week we talked about why did, why did Jesus come? We talked about how he is the visible image of an invisible God. And so this week, we want to talk about why did Jesus die? Because that seems to also be pretty central. You might know why he died, or you might think you know why he died. But I think it's very easy to uh, know, but not appreciate. And so, if we don't appreciate why he died, we can get really focused on the outcomes of, of what we have now that he has died, of, of being forgiven and loved and made right with God, and we forget the price that was paid to acquire that. I, um, has anybody heard of Blippi? Any parents of preschoolers might have heard of Blippi. He's an American uh, YouTuber who does shows for preschoolers. And I was recently watching one with my son, who's three. I'm thinking about relabeling this series, um, Things I've Learned from My Three-Year-Old. It seems to be a recurring theme. But in Blippi, he ended the episode by saying, I just want to tell you that you are so loved and that I love you and there's so many people around you that love you and, uh, and, and I love you and I love being your friend. And I heard him say that and I thought, that's pretty weird, right? Is that weird or is it just me? I feel like maybe I'm too cynical. But he's a YouTuber. I thought like, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my son. What am I teaching my son? 
that there's some guy on the screen who is, is his friend? What kind of a friend is he going to be when we need help moving house? Is he coming over? What happens when a family member dies? Uh, is he coming to mourn with us? Is he coming to celebrate with us when we have great success? What kind of a friend is he to me and to my son? And this love that he talks about, how can he be so sure? You know, there's so many people around you that love you. Well, how do you know? Maybe there isn't. You are so loved. I love you. No, you don't. You don't know us. The, the problem is, right, there's a, I agree with the outcome, but I don't agree with how he got there. Because the truth is that actually you are loved. You are loved with a real powerful love. You are loved by a love that's so powerful, a God so magnificent, cared about you enough that he would come and exchange his life, give his life up for your life. That's like a, a it's a love where he actually knows you. He doesn't just say he's your friend. He is there with you at all times. That's the real love. So I agree with the outcome, but I don't know how Blippi got there. It's this thing that I actually see more and more in many areas of our society. We teach the outcome. We teach the end point without the pathway there. And so you might be loved. You are loved. But how did we, how did we get to that point? You know, surely there has never been a time in history where we've had as much self-help content being made and written as there is today. And you would think that the increase in self-help content would mean that we've all helped ourselves to nirvana by now. But why are we still broken? Why are we still hurting? Why are we still filled with hatred? If you, if you go on social media and you scroll, it won't be long before you, you see some kind of an inspiring quote that encourages you to just forgive yourself and love yourself and be yourself. I've got people that I love who are close to me and they'll tell me about how they've read a book or they've done a course and they've learned about how much better their life is if they just don't judge themselves so harshly and how they need to forgive themselves because it makes them feel so much happier and freer. And I struggle because the conclusions are good. The foundations are weak. The conclusions are strong. The foundations are weak. I don't disagree that you want to get to a place where you do have a love for yourself and you can forgive yourself and you can be yourself. But the difficult, how do we get to the, how do we get there? If you just see a social media post that says, love yourself, forgive yourself, be yourself. And you say, yeah, I should do that. I'm going to do that. And you just do it. On what basis are you doing that? Who gives you the right to forgive yourself? Who gives you the right to love yourself? Whatever happened to justice? How would you feel if you were a Jew who survived a concentration camp? And after the Holocaust, you met a Nazi guard of the concentration camp in which you survived. And that guard was responsible for the death of your family members. 
And then they said to you, you know, I just read something on social media and it said, I just need to forgive myself and not judge myself so harshly. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just letting go of the Holocaust because I just want to be happier and freer. How would you, fe how would you feel? I, don't we want justice to be done? Don't we, don't we also believe that, that you can't just let evil go because whoever has done the evil just wants to be a bit happier and freer? Do we agree with that? I don't know. I, it certainly makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know how you feel. The trouble is, right, every one of us, maybe you are not an Auschwitz guard, but every one of us has, <laughs> I mean, chances are you weren't an Auschwitz guard, <laughs> probability-wise, you know. But every one of us has sin in our heart. Things that we've done, things that we should have done but didn't do, said, thought, that puts us in the same boat as those who need to be forgiven. The trouble is, right, we're trying to reach the destination without following the way. If you, if you need to know the way, let me tell you, the way is not a course, the way is not a book, the way is not a way of thinking, the way is not a habit, a routine, a lifestyle, or a belief. The way is a person, and his name is Jesus. When you carry guilt and shame from things that, you done, that you've done that you shouldn't have done or things that you haven't done but should have done, that guilt and shame rests on you like a burden to carry. It stays with you until it's dealt with. And that's the problem. That's the fundamental problem with just go and forgive yourself, love yourself and be yourself. Because you can read that, think that it's good, but unless you actually deal with the guilt and the shame that you carry, it's still there. So when I was in high school, my mum would make me rolls to take for lunch, right? And so I'd put them in my school bag. And, uh, <clears throat> but the problem is any chance I got to get any other lunch, I would take that opportunity, right? I'd, does anybody else do that? Like someone's got money, they're going to buy you something at the canteen, I'll go that route. And that inevitably means that there's a roll that you are meant to eat for lunch, which is still in your bag. And back then, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was not diligent in cleaning out my bag. So sometimes these rolls would get left in the bottom of my bag. And in the worst cases, I would be putting a fresh roll on top of a, another roll that was still there from a couple of days prior. As if I can't get that, I'll, get, I'll put that away. And the other thing is, right, if you see the rotten roll when you're at home, you can't. You have to wait until later to dispose of it. You can't put it in the family bin because then mum's going to see it in the bin and be like, uh, what's this? Why are you not eating the lunch that I diligently made for you? Well, so you've got to wait till you get to school. So you put the new roll on top of the old roll. It's, uh, uh, I was in a bad way, okay? Look, I've since been transformed. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Sometimes I find lunch containers in my bag. <laughs> quite a while ago. Okay, so 
as you can imagine, the role uh, would get pretty rank. And uh, sometimes it gets on the other thing, you know, if, if it's wrapped in paper and it's a soggy one, sogs out the paper, starts to get on the other things in your bag and then starts to smell. And then everywhere you go, people are sort of saying, what's that smell? And you think, I've got to take that roll out of my bag. <laughs> That's like the guilt and the shame that we carry. It is rotting on the inside of us. And we carry it around on our back. It gets on the other stuff in our life and it stinks. So what's the appropriate response for a rotten sandwich in your backpack? It is not to stop judging yourself for the smell. The appropriate response for having a rotten sandwich in your backpack is not to start a movement to just embrace people who have rotten sandwiches. Let's not shame, don't shame people for having rotten sandwiches. Let's just love one another, okay? Just love, and love yourself. If you've got a rotten sandwich, just accept it. Just say, rotten sandwich, I embrace you into my life. I'm going to, yes, I did. Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't do the wrong, maybe I didn't do the right thing by putting it in there. No, do you know what? I should forgive. No, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just keep the rotten, and eat. yes, it smells, but are you judging me for having a smelly sandwich? God forbid that you judge me for, I, are you being judgy? Don't judge me. I'm going to judge you. Have you, you've never had a rotten sandwich in your bag. Let's start a movement. We should start a Facebook group. And we can all agree that everyone is valuable, including those with people with rotten sandwiches in your bags. Stop talking about it. Don't mention, you're not allowed to say that. That's discrimination. Don't discriminate against people with rotten sandwiches in their bags. That's what's happening at the moment. Get the rotten sandwich out of the bag. It's disgusting. Sometimes you don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable to deal with. You have to go in, and especially if you've left it too long, you've got to get it off the other stuff, take it out, put it in the bin, maybe wear a mask and some gloves, and clean all the things. It has to be cleaned. Just clean it. That is the appropriate... What? Chuck the whole bag away. Ah, thank you. This is the problem, right? That's what we should do. We all deserve to be thrown away. Because all of us have dirt on the inside of us. But we want God to fix the world. We want him to get rid of the pollution. But don't get rid of me. I want to stay. So... If, if we did the appropriate measure, which is just throw out all the dirty bags, we would all be gone. But we want God, who's the master surgeon, to come and do heart surgery on us and cut away the dirt from our hearts and leave us here. And that requires him to do it. We can't do it. Thank you, Jess. Good prompt. <laughs>
the conclusions are good. You need strong foundations. You can live free from rottenness and not be burdened by guilt and shame. But to do that, you have to deal with it. You have to get rid of the rotten sandwich. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it explains how we deal with our rottenness. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, confessing requires you to bring something out into the open, to face it, to look at it and bring it forwards. So you can't just leave it in the bag. You have to pull it out. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, sometimes those feelings of guilt and shame can be a good thing. Sometimes they're pointing you, they're alerting you to, to the fact that there's something in your bag that needs to be dealt with. And so we don't need to make a song and dance about how to deal with it, but, we, but you need to deal with it. And, and there's a clear way. Confess your sins to him and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our wickedness. If you ignore those feelings, it's like keeping the rotten roll in your backpack and putting a peg over your nose. <clears throat> well, I can't smell it, so it must not be there. We confess our sins, he makes us clean. Then we can be free of guilt and shame. In 1 John 1 verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're asking the question, why did Jesus die? The blood of Jesus was spilt when he died. How can blood make you clean? I would have thought that if you, it's like it's not the best cleaning agent, is it? If you were thinking, I'm going to clean my bag out, you would get bleach or something, probably not blood, pour blood in your bag. <laughs> How can blood make us clean? Our sin is like pollution in our hearts that separates us from God. There's a penalty for that sin, and Jesus' death was the payment for that penalty. But what is with the blood idea? This idea has been around since the very beginning. The blood is the payment for sin. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve take the fruit from the tree they're forbidden to eat, and they feel guilt and shame, and so they hide. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 says, At the moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. There's the problem, right? Do you do that? I do that. I find myself hiding when I feel feelings of guilt and shame rather than bringing things out into the open. And that's, that's kind of the core of the problem, is we're supposed to confess our sins, but what we want to do is hide and not talk about them. Just pretend that they're not there. So <clears throat> we need to bring them out into the light. And if you can recognize that what you're doing is hiding, then you can realize this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to come out from behind the trees, face God, and tell him what we did. What's interesting then is in, in verse 21, Genesis 3:21, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. They already had clothes. They'd made them for themselves. Do you remember what they made clothes out of? Fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together. And God says, not good enough. 
what does God do instead? He gives them clothing made from animal skins. God provided animal skins as clothing because when Adam and Eve sinned, something had to die in their place. So God killed an animal, took the skins and clothed them with the thing that died in their place. Have you ever heard somebody say, you are clothed in Christ? Now we are clothed in Christ because we are clothed with the thing that paid the price for our penalty. I'll finish, wrap up, start to wrap up with a story. <laughs> Classic preacher. This is the beginning of the end. I, uh, I went to a, a midweek meeting and I was chatting to one of the itinerant ministers who was there and he told me the story about when he was traveling in northern India and he went and found this remote tribe and he was traveling with a small group and an interpreter and he goes there and as he's walking into the village, he sees a little wooden pole with a circle of stones around it and there's blood all over the place. And when he comes into the village, he asks the chief's wife, what was the pole with the blood? And through the interpreter, she explains, well, what we do is the sin that we... Ha I don't know if she used the word sin. The wrongdoing that we have, we do a ceremony where we get a goat, and we tie the goat to the pole, we put all of our wrongs onto the goat, and we kill the goat so that our wrongdoing can be dead with the goat. And he thought, wow, this is so Old Testament. He said, do you know, do you know let me tell you about Jesus. He, he came to be the animal that was sacrificed so that you could be made right with God. He's trying to do this through the interpreter. And the person, the chief's wife, her face lights up. She said, that's amazing. Let's go and meet him. Is he in the, is he in the next tribe over? He said, okay, this isn't quite worked out. Let me try again. I'll try again with the translator. No, no. 2,000 years ago, God came as a human so that he might die for us and pay the price for our sin. And she's being translated too. And she says, 2,000 years ago, if this has happened so long ago, why has it taken his followers so long to get to us, to tell us what has happened? She'd be thinking, how many goats have we killed? <laughs> Unnecessarily. We might be cleansed and we didn't know. It's not hate-filled or judgmental to acknowledge that there is sin in us and in others. It's liberating. It's liberating because Jesus made a way for you and I to be back in contact with God, to be forgiven and set free, made new and made clean. That's what we receive when we accept what Jesus did on the cross. I would love for you to stand with me and close your eyes. We're going to take a moment now
to be still and to be silent because I'd like to remind you, and maybe you know why Jesus died. I'd like to remind you this morning that your sin and my sin has a price and that price was paid with the blood of Jesus. He willingly went to the cross that he might die and you and I could be set free. And so we, we shouldn't afford to separate that forgiveness from the price that was paid to secure it. It's important that we acknowledge the one who gave you the freedom to forgive yourself. He gave you the ability to find love for yourself and he gave you the ability to be yourself. How do we do that? And what do we need to do now? Well, we should bring our sin to God and put it at the foot of the cross. And I'd like to do that in silence this morning. To let you bring to mind the things that are in your life which need to be dealt with. Bring them forward, not literally, figuratively forward, and lay them down at the foot of the cross, believing that Jesus paid the price for you to be set free and made clean. As you're bringing to mind, or maybe he's helping you bring to mind, things that need to be dealt with. This is called repentance. As we bring those things to mind, we want to leave them at the foot of the cross. Ask for his forgiveness, thank him for what he did, and we turn away from those things. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus, that he died in our place so that we wouldn't have to, so that these things wouldn't get between us and you. We thank you that you paid the price. You took the penalty. We thank you that we can be forgiven. Lord, we pray that you would Remove every stain, every sin that is like a burden to us, that you would wipe the slate clean, make us new, create in us a clean heart. Father, we bring our sin before you this morning. We thank you that you are faithful to forgive us. We love you. 
And we thank you returning from those ways this morning. We pray you help us move forward closer to you and in a way of holiness and righteousness. I want to ask if you have done that for the first time or maybe you haven't done that for a very long time and you feel that in your heart you're returning to God this morning then we we just want to help you walk that path with Jesus we want to give you a Bible pray with you and so if that's you here this morning I would love for you to lift your hand raise your hand whether you're here or online and we're going to come and follow up with you after the service give you what you need and help you walk on your way if you for the first time have come to receive Jesus or you're coming back to Jesus this morning raise your hand right now and after the service we're going to help you follow your way so good see that hand thank you is there anyone else here this morning who wants to do that Awesome. Well, while we're in this atmosphere of closeness with God, we're going to sing one more song to finish, There is a King. And I would love for you to just take, take a moment while we sing to personally bring forward anything that is a burden on your heart. Believe and trust that He is faithful and that He will do a work in your heart this morning begin to change things and shift things around and that you will be made clean in Jesus' name.